This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and more about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. We are physicists. We study the smallest particles in the universe at the smallest scales, as well as the biggest things in the universe at the largest scales. But you're telling me you can't figure out how to come up with some measurement or performance indicators on how this new strategic plan on changing the culture of an organization is doing? (laughs) Welcome to How To. I'm Amanda Ripley. Imposter syndrome is a term that's thrown around a lot these days, but it actually dates way back to the late 70s when two psychologists noticed that high-achieving women were not internalizing their accomplishments, even when they had done a lot of amazing things. They seemed to be plagued by this persistent self-doubt and fear of being exposed as a fraud. And since then, researchers have found imposter syndrome to be all over the place. Up to 80% of people experience it, depending on how you define it. So we all feel like a fraud at some point or another. But that feeling of not belonging is much harder to shake when you're surrounded by cues that suggest you don't belong. My name is Leslie. I recently just graduated from Iowa State. I studied biological systems engineering with an emphasis in food processing. I am an associate engineer under the research and development team for a major food corporation. So that is my work. And as far as what I like to do for fun, I think I'm just so intertwined with being so professional at work. And I'm very serious. It's like a completely different personality. So when I'm around family and friends, I really just like to go out and actually just came back from Puerto Rico, which was amazing. I had, you know, some good drinks and dancing some salsa, which is just so different from work. (laughs) Sounds like you're almost living a double life right now. Yeah. (laughs) Could you tell us a little bit about why you reached out to us? A big problem that I'm very passionate about is the underrepresentation of females in STEM, especially um, when you're looking at women of color, right? So that's a problem in and itself. And one that affects my identity on a day-to-day basis is imposter syndrome, where I just feel like I'm always doubting myself, doubting my abilities. And I had learned about the phrase imposter syndrome when I was an undergrad. And just naming it in itself was like weird. I, this is exactly like, there's a name for what I'm feeling. But I didn't necessarily get the tools to say, well, this is how you overcome it. Which matters because Leslie's job requires confidence. She's essentially the liaison between the established engineering team, which is all white men, and the research and development team, which includes more women. Leslie's the only person of color and also the only one in this role, acting as a bridge between the engineers and the food scientists. It was a newly created position throughout the entire company. We're a pretty big player in food manufacturing. And to hear that this is 
the only position of its kind in the company, immediately I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm probably not qualified. My coworkers, they almost kind of show me off and they say like, yeah, she speaks engineering. We're all food scientists and she's the engineering girl. Like she's the one you want to talk to for engineering stuff. We don't know anything about that. And there was not somebody in that job before, and you're the only one. So you're kind of building the plane as you fly. Yes. (laughs) Something like that. So on the one hand, it sounds like it's a big opportunity because you're kind of shaping the role as you go. On the other hand, it sounds pretty scary and sometimes isolating. Yes. Everyone around me is a senior position, basically. So they're very much well-established. I'm you know, surrounded by people that are much older and wiser than me. Everyone's really welcoming and nice and willing to work with me. But it, it's it's the idea that you're the only one. And you're just, it's a constant reminder that the space wasn't made for you. So on today's show, we're bringing in Dr. Jessica Esquivel. Jessica is a Black Mexican queer physicist who has fought to make those same spaces more welcoming for so many, you know, on top of her day job. I am a particle physicist. I work at a Department of Energy National Lab called Fermilab on an experiment called the muon G-2 experiment. So I study a particle called a muon and I like to think of that as the plus size version of the electron. And we use the muon to essentially probe the quantum realm to look for new physics or particles that we haven't ever seen before. So it's a real fun job. My mind is blown right now, like already. (laughs) I feel like we've entered the Marvel universe. Yeah, pretty much. This is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a really fun job. But there were definitely... Uh, rings of fire (laughs) that I needed to jump through (laughs) to get there to get there yeah and the spaces that I currently work in they weren't built for somebody that looks like me we're going to talk about silencing those inner critics while also chipping away at the bigger systems that undermine marginalized people Jessica has a lot of wonderful advice based on her own experience and all the advocacy work she's done in the quantum realm and at the water cooler. Don't go anywhere. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into questions like, can we learn to make smarter decisions? Or what is the power of negative thinking? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, athletes, Nobel laureates, and more about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones. Choiceology is out now. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast or find it wherever you listen. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. 
You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Before Dr. Jessica Esquivel began using some of the biggest detectors in the country to look at some of the smallest particles in the universe, she was battling her way through her doctorate. Grad school is a traumatic experience that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemies. <laughs> um, it was it was hard. I fell into a massive depression. I was questioning my self-worth in more ways than one. Everybody questions their worth or if they are good enough or compare themselves to their coworkers. But the difference that marginalized populations have, like Black women, like Latina women, they not only have that negative talk that's going on in their head, we also have external factors. What imposter syndrome focuses on is how to combat your negative talk, right? But it doesn't focus on how do we change the systemic issues that are pushing out amazing black and brown talent from these fields. And it took me a long time to get there, right? But now I realize that there's a flip side. Like we need to stop worrying about what was going on in my head, right? Like I'm not the problem. Mm. The system mm. is the problem. The organizations right. are the problem. Mm -hmm. And that gives you a sense of freedom. That's interesting. So and we're going to talk more about this, but I, I love what you're pointing at here. And this is a tension we deal with on the show all the time, which is we don't want to put everything on the individual yeah. when it's actually a much bigger problem. And it shouldn't be on the individual to be having this like unbelievably complex dialogue in their head, <laughs> to talking them out of all the cues they're getting. Mm -hmm. What's interesting to me is that sometimes I feel like when we realize, oh, this problem is bigger than me. This is not my problem. This is our society's problem. Sometimes that can be kind of paralyzing because it's mm. like, well, then, shit, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. I can't fix all those things. But what, you, what I heard you say, Jessica, is it was actually freeing. Yeah. Before I knew that language, it was grad school. It was 3 a.m. I called my mom and I was crying because I couldn't get this homework set. Um, and I was telling her that I'm failing. I'm failing the queer community. I'm failing the black community. I'm failing the Hispanic community. And my mom turned around and said, who the hell made you queen of all these communities? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, that is the type of burden that we as marginalized people carry. But learning that it was not my problem, that it was bigger than me, it allowed me to fail, right? Which meant that I was becoming a better scientist because then I gave myself permission to ask the questions and to be quote unquote dumb and naive and, and learn rather than being so scared to look dumb in front of my peers 
that I just yeah don't grow. Yes. Oh, this is huge. Okay, before we go any further, Leslie, what are you thinking hearing what Jessica said so far? 100%. I, I see what she's talking about. Jessica, you have a confidence within you that I think I want to get there. Mm-hmm. To not have it be so daunting and on you, mm-hmm. I am afraid to fail. And when I do fail, I feel like my career, my degree is on the line every single day. <laughs> and it's just so stressful. And I, I hate feeling that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of things that I hear you say, Leslie, that remind me of when I was your age. There's this sense of fragmentation in your identity, not only who you are at home versus who you are at work, but also who you are in this space at work versus who you are in another space. So there's this, you know, push and pull that you feel. You don't know whether you should code switch to X or code switch to Y. And sometimes you forget that you're with this group and not that group and they don't know this side of you and blah, 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 blah. So much so that you lose who you are and you spend so much time trying to put yourself in these little boxes that is comfortable for the people that are around you, but hella uncomfortable for you. So it was learning to accept all the facets of my identity and realizing that the skills that I get from both is what makes me an awesome scientist. So I stopped code switching. Mm -hmm. I stopped fragmenting myself. And with that, again, came this sense of freedom, came this sense of power, like a freedom to be able to be, to breathe, (laughs) to be yourself. Okay, let's just pause to absorb what Jessica's saying here, because it's actually pretty deep. First, she said that the key to putting down some of these burdens was to realize that they didn't belong to her. They belong to our culture, to society, to other people's hangups. She can't fix those. That realization gave her the freedom to be her whole self, even at work. All of which is admittedly easier said than done. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's... I definitely feel like I have to hide my identity. I was always brought up where this sense of, you know, corporate professionalism, you need to dress a certain way, you need to talk a certain way... And it turns out it's not like that in manufacturing, not at all. We have a, a like dress for your work type of environment where, you know, I'm in jeans and I'm in boots and I go out into the plant floor. But it's that it's almost the idea of like, you know, a double standard where having the identities that I do hold, is it going to be mm-hmm. taken differently? Is it going to be seen differently? You you might be able to wear jeans, yeah. but you're still on a tightrope. Is that is that the feeling? Oh, 100%. If I just got up that day and I was like, eh, let me not brush my hair. Is that the day where, you know, I'm going to be seen as unprofessional, where people don't want to work with me or you know, I'm, I'm seen as dirty? Like, 
it's those, even those on a day-to-day basis come up Mm -hmm. very much so. Those are the kinds of constant calculations that take up so much cognitive energy. It's a waste of mental space that most of Leslie's white male peers don't have to deal with. Like, if I can shift the mental capacity that I'm spending worrying about what my boss is going to think into innovatively solving an R&D issue, like, that would that would be a good thing, right? And I'm not saying... Like, it's, it's right. that easy, right? <laughs> I'm actively mm-hmm. having, like, mirror talk, right? Like, Issa from... Insecure. Insecure, yes. Hey, mirror, you looking real clean. You looking real bad. You looking like a queen. It's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you. But I got a new spot. It's brand new. Brand new. Hey, it's locked. Here I come. Don't you go nowhere, mirror, I'm doing that all the time. (laughs) Hyping myself up, um, telling myself, you need to walk in there with the confidence of a mediocre white man. (laughs) Like, it is is an intentional thought process. But I think with that logical mindset of, if I could just take this energy and put it somewhere else, I could be better at my job. It, it helps to fuel that, that intentional mindset, I think, at least for me. Here's our next insight. Shaking off imposter syndrome requires giving up on perfection in all of its forms. Slowly, you can stop second-guessing yourself when a project gets canceled or your hair's out of place or you get a weird email from a colleague. Ideally, your coworkers or a mentor can help you get there and figure out when to second guess and when not to. But what happens when you have to advocate for yourself? When you have to sound much more confident than you feel? We'll find out right after the break. Hi, I'm Adam Grant, host of the podcast Rethinking, a show where I talk to some of today's greatest thinkers about the unconventional ways they see the world. On Rethinking, you'll get surprising insights from scientists, leaders, artists, and more. People like Reese Witherspoon, Malcolm Gladwell, and Yo-Yo Ma. Hear lessons to help you find success at work, build better relationships, and more. Find Rethinking wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to make a change this year, check out How to Be a Better Human a podcast from TED. I'm Chris Duffy. I'm a comedian, and each week on How to Be a Better Human, I sit down to have an honest and hopefully funny and revealing conversation with an expert who can help us to see the world in a new way. This season, we're diving into everything from how you can love better to how to create habits that stick to how to have hope in a world and at a time where that feels really challenging. You can find all those topics and so many more on episodes of How to Be a Better Human, wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with Dr. Jessica Esquivel and Leslie, who's trying to overcome imposter syndrome, which has been showing up at work at some pretty critical moments. I actually just had a review with my boss yesterday. Mm, So perfect timing. Yeah. And on my review, I actually said that I did not meet expectations. Mm. And I said that because 
some of my projects that I was assigned to work on got canceled. I was questioning my career. I was like, I'm going to get fired. And my boss even said, I think you're just being too hard on yourself. It's upper management. And she actually kind of opened my eyes. She said, you know what they say? Only about like 10% of projects in the workforce actually Mm. take off. And I was like, oh my gosh, I did not know that. And then we just had a conversation about goals for 2023. So for me, it felt daunting going in there. But after talking with her, it was very lighthearted. And she did not have a bad image of me at all. It was all in my head. Like, Leslie, you're lucky that you have a group of supportive colleagues that hype you up, right? But there's going to be a time when you're going to be needing to advocate for yourself. So that's definitely a skill you need to be working on now. Because there's going to be a situation where your boss minimizes the work that you put in. And at that point in time, you're going to need to stand up for yourself and say, I've done X, Y, Z. And the results have been A, B, C. That's a very hard skill to develop. What what does that look like, Jessica? Are you literally keeping like a, a Google sheet or like, can we get tactical here? Like, how are you doing this? And Because I think you're right. I mean, I think, yeah. Leslie, even if, she, if you don't need it right now, you will have to stand up for yourself. How are you keeping track? So I started writing every single thing that I do <laughs> outside of my actual job description. You know, those three questions, what have I done? What are their transferable skills? How has it made me better at my job? And keeping a list now you have proof that you're good at what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. So that's for more high-stakes scenarios. But what about the more mundane situations? We know that, especially in male-dominated fields, women and people of color are more likely to be doubted or just questioned, even on really small details, as Leslie found out recently. I sent an email out very direct, very, you know, asking for what I wanted to proceed with my project. And they had questioned the use of a word that it almost like my use of a word was confusing to them. And I was like, they don't know what I mean. What? And then I I did go back with my coworkers and I was like, am I going crazy or like, does this make sense to you? And they were like, yeah. They were like, yeah, I don't know what he's, you know, what he's fixated on. I'm like, thank you, because I feel like I was like speaking Spanish or something. Like, I'm, I don't know why this word, he was fixated on this word that I used. What What was the word? Do you remember? I'm curious. It was basically asking for volumes of inventory. Usually that just means mm-hmm. like amount. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was just like volumes, like, what do you mean? And I'm like. I'm like, it it was a phrase that we had used a lot, like in conversation and in meetings with different cross-functional groups. And it was like, oh my gosh, like, here we go again. Like, now do I sound stupid? Like, am Mm -hmm. I out here? Like, do people think Leslie doesn't Mm -hmm. know what she's talking about? Hmm. So it's like little things that happen like that, that just make me doubt everything. Like, I'm the one in the wrong. Have I just been looking dumb this entire time? Mm. Right. 
And and so it sounds like in that case, you you were able to go to a colleague and gut check the situation. And was that reassuring? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My bosses and my colleagues, we were laughing about it. And they were like, we know what you're talking about. I don't know why he didn't understand you. So it was reassuring for sure. There, it's. I remember I'd been writing about education a lot, but I write about different things. And I wrote this story about uh, soccer. And in the fact-checking and editing process at this magazine, I was just getting a lot of pushback, like more than normal, mm-hmm. just a lot of, are you sure? Are you sure this is how soccer works? And I said, you know, I've actually played soccer my whole life and I coach soccer. So yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and uh, <Right. laughs> finally, I just had this weird feeling like what? Yeah, because you do, you start doubting yourself, like maybe I'm wrong, like maybe I don't understand soccer. And then you're like, wait, no, there's something up here. But it's really hard because you can't quite name it. You can't, it's intangible, right? Like you can't be like, I'm going to confront you about your lack of confidence in my soccer knowledge. Like it just sounds crazy. Um, (laughs) So it's like right Right. below the radar, you know? Right. Yeah. And it's the idea of like, the person on the other end, my colleague, might have been well-attentioned. Like, right, maybe he right. just genuinely maybe didn't was know genuinely what he was asking confused. me. <laughs> yeah, volume could mean louder. Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, this, is, exactly. this is the type of uh, mental capacity I am talking about. After being on this earth <laughs> for 30-some-odd yes. years, I am done <laughs> questioning whether or not this happened because I'm Black, because I'm a woman, or am I just crazy and being sensitive Uh no i go into a space now and essentially you prove me wrong (laughs) that you are not you know Uh questioning my ability in xyz so so you're transferring that mental load to the other person exactly it's not (laughs) my problem it's your problem (laughs) (laughs) yeah in the self-talk situation that leslie was just describing where she gets this like inexplicable challenge about a word choice is what you're saying that she could just decide yeah this is bullshit like there's some kind of weird bias here exactly and that's it yeah or does she say something you don't need to say something you can clarify what she meant say volume in my department or cross departments means amount please tell me what the amount is and like wash your hands (laughs) Yeah. And I, I see. Yeah. And now they feel stupid. I see <laughs> Here's the thing, and maybe this is obvious, but there are bad faith actors, people who are, in fact, racist, sexist, homophobic. Sometimes serious action is necessary in response. But other times, most of the time, it's more subtle. Usually, it's not an HR matter. So then the trick is to minimize the amount of time and energy being stolen from you, while also quickly cutting off this cycle of misplaced doubt that's so quick to start. And imagine how much time you're gonna recoup. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, you know, my colleagues are dead asleep at 10 p.m. Probably I'm uh, questioning my worth mm-hmm. at 3 a.m. So <laughs> rewriting yes, that get email those hours back. <laughs> I'm curious if you feel this way, Jessica, but I do feel like the older I get, the more I see behind the curtain. And I realize that, like, 
nobody knows what they're doing. Exactly. If they haven't, if they're not struggling now, they will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like one way or another. Yeah. And like you said, I think it comes with, you know, age. I also don't want to be that arrogant person. And, you know, I am newly graduated. I'm not going to go into industry telling people that have been working there 20 <laughs> years, true. you know, I'm fresh out of college. I'm but I think that you. there's a different way to approach that. Um, you don't have to say, I know more than you. But you can be confident in the fact that you're going to have a completely different perspective than the people that have been working together for 30, 40, 50 years. You and I know that it takes a diversity of thought and different perspectives to solve these really complex problems. Homogeneity is not the friend of innovation. Yes. Yep. No, I 100% agree. Right. And and sometimes I feel like I mean, there are some people who I wish had more imposter syndrome. You know what I mean? Like maybe, <laughs> maybe like there, there's this new study um, by uh, an MIT researcher that found that people who scored high on imposter syndrome assessments are also more likely to listen, to show empathy, to make eye contact, and to connect with others. Among physicians in training, they're better liked by their patients. Mm. So I wonder, I mean, do we think there might be an upside to some of these doubts? I think I can attest to that because I think my biggest skill is adaptability and asking questions. I know that I'm not the smartest person in the room. So I go into a room and I start asking questions. I say, you've been here for 20 years. What do you know about this? Some people, they go in with a confidence and they might think, well, my answer is the right answer. And they might not bring that diverse perspective that is needed for new innovation. So I have a perfect example about how imposter syndrome is actually a, a superpower. There's this physicist, Jocelyn Bell Burnell. She was the first person to discover radio pulsars. The first calculation she did, she found this discrepancy, right, in what she expected the data to look like. And she was like, no, this can't be right. So she redid the analysis and redid the analysis and redid the analysis. And by the time she was bringing this information to her advisor, she was 100% certain that this is something that we haven't seen before. And she credited her imposter syndrome to that work ethic to that attention to detail. Unfortunately, she didn't win the Nobel Prize, her advisor did, but that's another story for a different day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, but that that actually is a perfect segue to a question I wanted to make sure to ask you, because Jessica, you pointed out from the beginning of this conversation that we cannot put this on individuals when it's a societal, you know, and structural problem. What's something that employers should do to try to reduce the paralysis that can and the waste of time that mm. can be caused by by imposter syndrome. Oh, that is a loaded question. <laughs> um, I think it comes down to two things: trust and communication. Um, and honestly, you can't communicate authentically and openly if you don't have trust within an organization. Um, but that takes time to build. Um, and actions speak louder than 
your words, right? So all of these EDNI statements that are coming out, if there's no action, if there's no funding, if there's no accountability or performance indicators that they're even trying to, you know, reach, it, like, it's like, nothing. are you measuring it? Exactly. Are you checking the measurements? Right. I mean, exactly. It's called volume. Exactly. V-O-L. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like surely we could we could find a way to measure this if it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. You said mm-hmm. it. If it's really important, you'll find a way. And I think seeing that action opens up lines of communication. Less talk. Yes. More action. Yep. Yeah. It, That's good it advice for the employers everything. listening. Less talk, more action, accountability, metrics. Yep. Leslie, what would be helpful to you? For me, I just want to hear about people's failures. And it, mm. it's nice to hear. And, you know, Jessica mentioning just the idea of it's okay and totally normal to fail. And failure isn't the end of your career. It's not the end of, you know, your identity and what it means as me as an engineer. And I, I feel like I just don't hear that often. Here's our last tip, and this one is especially for anyone who manages other people. To reduce the downside of imposter syndrome and boost the upside of humility and empathy, remember to measure your progress towards a more diverse workforce and tell stories about your own failures out loud with grace and maybe even humor. You'll get better results from your team, and they might just stick around longer too. There's this this kind of empowerment happening with regards to if I feel not valued at my workplace, then I don't need to be here. Do you ever think about that, Leslie, that, you know what, yes, it's true they could fire you, but you could also fire them. (laughs) Yeah. Luckily, my experience has been great. And for my immediate, immediate team, I do feel valued. It's just a matter of do I value myself the way I really should be? Well, and that's my last question for y'all. Are there any tricks that you have for boosting your confidence when it starts to wane? My wife, um, she's my biggest supporter. Uh, I'm going to start to cry. <laughs> yeah, just no matter what, wild, crazy, harebrained idea I have about uh, changing the culture or a new way to engage, you know, the BIPOC community in, in STEAM or queer identity. Like, she's just always, yeah, no, that sounds amazing. Let's do this. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is in, in the research on imposter syndrome. There's a ton of research on like what it is. There's not a lot of research on how to make it go away. But the, the, the research there is on what seems to help is finding those cheerleaders, yes. those mentors, those sometimes it's a support group. Um, is there a group like that for, I don't know, Latina engineers or any any kind of group where people get what you're going through and you don't have to explain it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yep. So in undergrad, I, I definitely had a very great support system. And, you know, again, my boyfriend, my family really rallied behind me. 
I was an expert in their eyes. Like Jessica said, it was beautiful. You know, I wish, I really wish that I could see myself through their lens because they don't doubt me at all. They don't doubt me at all. I wonder if the next time you have to go into a meeting or do something where you're feeling that nagging sense of insecurity, I wonder if you could almost, like you're acting in a play, be the Leslie that your siblings see. Oh my Even God, just that, is so, <laughs> that is so smart. And actually I'm in a yeah. leadership program and that's exactly what they say to do. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, wow. yeah. Okay, because yeah. as I was saying it's it, I was like having imposter syndrome. Play. I'm like, maybe this is yeah. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, this is starting to get a little emotional. Oh, I already cried. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie, do you have any last questions to ask Jessica? So Jessica, in the place that you are now, do you feel like you've completely squashed imposter syndrome? No. <laughs> I think every new career advancement is going to bring back that monkey on your back. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it requires intentional and active, positive reinforcement to counteract that negative voice in your head. But you have proof that you can do it because you did it before. We've seen that ring of fire before and we've jumped through it. Maybe a couple of burns here and there, but we survived and now we're moving towards another junction. And this time we're going to be stronger so that we can thrive in our field. You just got to continue to hype yourself up <laughs> and surround yeah. yourself with people that hype you up. <laughs> Thank you, Leslie, for sharing your story with us and to Dr. Jessica Esquivel for all of her useful advice. If you want to hear more from her, she has a newsletter out called Our Queer Universe, which we'll link to in the show notes. What about you? Do you have a question about particle physics? Well, don't call us. <laughs> but if you have a problem that we could help with, send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail, 646-495-4001. We'd love to have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review. Make sure you tell at least one friend. Surely you know someone with imposter syndrome or someone who maybe should have more imposter syndrome. <laughs> That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson and Kevin Bendis produced this episode with help from Jabari Butler. Merritt Jacob is senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. Carvel Wallace is my co-host. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening.